Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Home Field Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Hello, Old Sports, a new podcast on the Sports History Network. I'm Dan Newman, the co-host of Hello, Old Sports, and my brother Andrew Newman is the co-host with me. How are you today, Andrew? Doing all right, Dan. I'm excited to uh, get started with our new uh, venture here. And for anyone listening, hello, old sports. So um, Andrew and I, um, obviously, we're brothers. Um, we grew up uh, in the New York area, uh, so rooting for the New York teams, Yankees, Giants, Knicks. Um, a little bit different on the hockey. I was more of a Rangers, but he was more of an Islanders. But we're not really – hockey's not necessarily our forte, which is something you'll probably find out as you – Listen to us. And we've done things um, like this in the past. I think the first thing we ever did together was years and years ago. I came up well, you hosted a show on your campus radio station at LaSalle, and I came up and hosted with you once or twice. That's right. Yes. On WEXP, our uh, campus radio station at LaSalle University, where I graduated in 2008, I did, in addition to, to doing the sporting events, the basketball games, the uh, baseball games. God, we had we had football back then, which was promptly dropped right as I graduated. Uh, but I also had a, had a studio show that I did once a week. And once my co-host graduated, he was a year older than me. I was in search of co-hosts the next semester so, or the next year. So I had some rotating guests and you came up from D.C. that one time. And that was the first time we did uh, radio together. So yeah, that's you mentioned Philly, um, and I my coming up from D.C. We grew up in New York, but um, I went to school in Boston and spent some time living there as an adult. Andrew uh, spent a couple years living in D.C. Um, as well as going to school in Philly. So we pretty much have the entire uh, Northeast corridor covered. But the show is really going to be more of a national show. Um, we'll sort of go back and forth between some things more specific to New York and other things. Um, that are more nationally based. Uh, Andrew has more experience doing this type of thing than I do. He hosted a, a show that was mostly sports, but not entirely for about, uh, what was that, about three years you did that? Uh, it was about three years when it was on the public radio station around uh, this area here in Dutchess County, New York. It was a sort of, you know, public, not publicly funded, but it was open to the community. It was in a town called Pauling, New York. It was Pauling Public Radio. And then you now, even to this day, do something every Monday night on Facebook Live, which is sort of the same type of thing, um, mostly sports, but also some politics, current events, uh, culture, that type of thing as well. And usually telling some embarrassing stories about things I may have done or uh, things I may have said or regretted doing. You know, I, I like to throw in a little self-deprecating humor every now and then. And I, um, while I don't have a lot of sort of behind the mic experience, I've for the last several months uh, 
helped out with a podcast that some of you may be aware of, which is uh, Baseball by the Book, um, hosted by Justin McGuire, um, where he interviews a different author of a baseball book uh, every week. And I've helped out with some of the prep and uh, researching some of the books for him. So there's a lot of passion for the history of sports between the two of us. And we'd sort of kicked around wanting to do something like this uh, for a while. And I've been a longtime uh, listener for the last couple of years of the Football History Dude, which is a f- the flagship show of the Sports History Network. And I noticed uh, Arnie on his website within the last uh, couple of, uh, I guess, about a month ago, had said that they were looking to expand and add some shows. And uh, I, um, like Andrew, and I guess like everybody these days, has been spending a lot more time in the house than uh, I previously would have uh, would have. So we're we've been looking for things to do, and we figured this was sort of a nice confluence of the availability, our availability, as well as this uh, this sports history network that Arnie is putting together. So we kind of decided to go ahead with it, and we're really excited. Um, we're going to do sort of a mix of topics as the uh, weeks go on. Sometimes we'll do something very specific. Uh, we'll travel back to a specific year, travel back, talk about a specific player. Um, and then other weeks we'll do something uh, much more national or much wider in scope. And we kind of figured, so for instance, one of the things that we're talking about doing within the next few weeks is we're going to travel back to 1920. It's 100 years ago. Uh, it was a couple of sort of important beginnings in the history of sports. It was Babe Ruth's first year on the Yankees. It was the first year of the Negro National League uh, in baseball, founded by Rube Foster. It was also the birth of the NFL, the first full season of the NFL. So sort of a lot of things happened that year. So we'll do a lot of that type of thing. We'll, we also do a lot of lists, sort of like what you're going to hear tonight. Um, all-time teams, greatest world series, all those types of things. And we'll also occasionally look at uh, sort of more modern sports through a historical lens. I know we have an episode, uh, Andrew's uh, putting together uh, within the next couple of months on sort of boxing in the uh, late 20th and early 21st centuries, sort of talking about uh, the arc of the heavyweight title and how it's mattered less and less as time has gone on. So I think it's fair to say that we're probably going to be kind of all across the board when it comes to um, the topics that we cover. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Um, And we're going to kind of intentionally bounce from era to era, from sport to sport, uh, just so it's not, I mean, we may have a few multi-part episodes or we might have different episodes that are on a, on a theme, but we're going to try and not do them all at once. So in other words, we know a lot of people aren't going to be as up to date on the 1920 baseball season and hopefully you'll, or the 1920 in sports. And hopefully you'll listen to that and maybe it sounds pretentious to say, learn something, but just kind of have your interest, you know, uh, peaked in it and, and hear some stuff about that. But we don't want to then follow that up with four more episodes about things that happened 90, a hundred years ago. So whether it's after an episode like that, if suddenly we're talking about maybe something that happened in the seventies or eighties or in a different sport or something like that, just to kind of try to appeal to as many people as possible. Obviously, if you're interested in this and you're listening, you're going to have an interest in some area of sports history, but we want to make sure that we're, uh, we're not 
we're you know we're we're pressing every lever equally or uh or at least as much as possible um and i think that's just a sort of on that note uh there's obviously a lot of sports history stories that and i i started writing writing them down a little the other day of you know ones that are done to death and maybe we'll do some of those at the end of episodes sometimes just to give our thoughts or something that we think is missing from the story or something like that. But just as an example, let's say the 86 Mets, the 86 world series, the Bill Buckner game, we've all probably, if you have any sort of interest in sports and baseball specifically, you've probably seen hundreds of stories and articles and everything on that. You don't need a whole hour devoted to that, but we might at least touch on it and say, Hey, here's a couple of interesting aspects that we, don't think it talked about enough or that get mis misconstrued or things like that. So, you know, the, we're going to try and maybe bring some new topics or at least ones that you haven't heard too much about, but we'll, we'll make sure that we do sprinkle in our thoughts on some of the more famous ones as we get down the line. Absolutely. And I think um, one other thing that we're going to be open to uh, certainly maybe not um, over the first few episodes, but if you're out there listening and there's a particular um, sports history topic, something that's particularly interesting to you, uh, feel free to shoot us an email. It's hello old sports, all one word at gmail.com. Hello old sports at gmail.com. And we're certainly willing to entertain suggested topics for the podcast. And even uh, going forward, we'd certainly be willing to have folks on as a guest if you feel there's something that you are particularly interested in or qualified to talk about, we certainly uh, are willing to open that up and sort of make it a little bit more of a, a free flowing discussion between us and the audience. If anybody ever wants to, wants to join us and talk about uh, some, some sports history topics that are of particular interest to them. So um, again, thank you to Arnie for having us on the sports history network. Thank you to you all for listening. And uh, thank you, especially uh, to Andrew for, uh, for doing this with me. Um, One last, you want to go ahead? Sure. In kind of that area, um, you know, especially you mentioned possibly having people on. And I know earlier in the uh, this sort of intro here, you mentioned that we're not big on hockey. If it's a topic, especially like a specific hockey team or, a, you know, a hockey story or really any sport that's maybe not something we're as in tune with, it would definitely be helpful to have somebody on who can sort of lead the discussion or bring more context to it than we're going to necessarily get, especially if it's something we're not too familiar with in a in a sport that we don't know too much about um and just sort of on that and then i know we do want to get into this this first topic because it's probably going to take a little while um i'll speak for myself but uh, then you can let me know if you echo this or not dan we both have a have a an interest in sports history we like a lot of sports history you read a ton about sports history me less so i try but i'm, I'm not in the same league i'm not an expert it's very likely I will misstate things or not intentionally, um, you know, or maybe mix certain things up or any of that. So I, I'm not trying to hold myself out as like a sports historian or anything like that. So if there's something I say that, hey, maybe was wrong or you think I'm taking a leap on something, you know, we definitely like to hear your feedback. I, I'm certainly not uh, of a high enough opinion of myself to think I'm a, I'm beyond feedback on on any of my thoughts on certain topics absolutely we always want to hear from the audience whether it's uh debate or corrections or anything we got wrong or even if you think we got something right um so yes we definitely want to hear from the audience um so for the first episode why don't we go ahead and get started 
we thought it would be a good idea, and this is a conversation that Andrew and I have had um, sort of off offline just at our uh, family dinners and holidays and that type of thing. Uh, Mount Rushmore's for all of the various um, cities uh, throughout the country. And what we decided to do is we are going to pick an athlete from each of the four major sports, baseball, basketball, football, and hockey, and put together a Mount Rushmore for each of the cities. And at the end, we'll sort of go through and talk about which one we think was the best. Um, there are basically three categories that we're going to hopefully get into today. The first is sort of bigger cities like New York, Boston, DC, Philly, that Chicago, that definitely have strong candidates from each of the four major sports. And the second, go ahead. I'm sorry. We're talking about athletes who play. We're talking just professional sports and we're talking athletes who played on teams in those cities. So it's not where they're from. So Dwayne Wade, if we're going to consider him, it would be Miami because he played in Miami. We're not going to be talking about him in Chicago because he's from Chicago. <laughs> yeah. ESPN, ESPN a few years ago did something like this and their basketball nominee for New York was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar because he grew up there and played high school there. No, it's, it's only players who played professionally there. And so we'll go through those. And then the next category is going to be cities that have really only ever had um, three of the major sports, um, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, those types of sports. And then if we have time at the end, we'll maybe get into some of the cities, uh, the, the Denver's and the Miami's that maybe have had all four sports, but don't have quite as rich of a history in one sport or the other, and there's no doubling up. So in other words, um, Baltimore does not get to have both uh, Johnny Unitas and Ray Lewis and compete with some of the fours. It's it's different categories for the fours versus the threes. So um, I thought you were gonna. I was gonna have to cross my Baltimore ones out. I didn't. I now I understand what you're saying. It's separate. It's like separate weight classes. What we're talking about. Exactly. Exactly. There's the four. There's the four team weight class, and then the three team weight class. And so, uh, and we're just talking about players. We're not, you know, because I've seen ones of these before where, okay, we're talking about Chicago and we need a football player, uh, George Hallis, like a football character, you know, Tom Landry for Dallas. It's a little bit of a cop out to do that. So that's why we're, we're going to restrict it just to players. Absolutely. Although that might be a fun conversation for a couple minutes at the end is to see if there's any, any sports where, or any, any sports and cities where we think that if we could name a coach, maybe a coach would theoretically bump a player from the list. So if we have a couple minutes at the end, maybe we can get into that. But for the first run through here, we'll just do players. Um, all right. Well, we've been talking now for almost 14 and a half minutes and haven't gotten into any of it yet. So why don't we start with this sort of uh, top weight class of cities that um, each have four teams and a rather rich sports history in each of the sports. And let me first, Andrew, let me run through the cities and see if you have any that you think should be added or taken away. I have New York, Boston, DC, Philly, Detroit, LA, and Chicago. And then I actually added St. Louis in there too, because even though they've not had an NBA team in quite some time, uh, they, they have some sort of good, good candidates that come from the old days of the St. Louis Hawks. So anything to add there? I did St. Louis. Um, 
another one I would think is, I mean, did you want to have the Dallas area in the four category? Because you have the Stars, the Mavericks, the Cowboys, and the Rangers. Or is I that- think that's a good ad- that's a good addition. Absolutely, okay. absolutely. Dallas is a good one. All right. So, about uh, the Bay Area, do we are we not? Since there's not really, are are we going to keep that in the in the third tier? I put the Bay Area in the third tier because it's not only not as only is it it's not just two cities it's actually three. <laughs> so I I put the Bay Area as almost almost an entity to itself. That's fair. All right, so um, do we want to go ahead and uh, portray our betray our bias right off the bat and start with New York? We can definitely, and I. I actually ran this by a friend of mine because I said I'm a little worried here that I was certainly biased because of the four teams I picked, of the four players I picked, I picked a player each from each of my favorite teams, but Mm -hmm. I think there's justification for it. So we may as well get New York. uh, I'm going to guess we agree on at least three of these, but um, we may as well start with the, the town that's nearest and dearest to our hearts and nearest and dearest to me physically at the moment and go with New York. So I'm assuming for New York, for baseball, you went Babe Ruth. Yeah, and there's really no argument. Um, I know, I believe our next episode, we're going to do something on the history of New York baseball and the Yankees and the National League history with the Giants and the Dodgers and later the Mets. But any way you slice it, and even obviously taking out his pitching career in Boston, I mean, Babe Ruth was the most dominant athlete in any sport for the whole time he was a Yankee until the very end. Um, hit the majority of his 714 home runs there. One, what what did they win? Four with him, 23, 27, 28, and 32. Yes. Larger than life figure. It, 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 it's really not close, despite the storied history of baseball in New York. It's Babe Ruth in a, in a runaway, in my opinion. Yeah. There's really in sports no comparing Babe Ruth in the 1920s to anybody else in the history of team sports in the United States. I guess if we had to pick somebody for second, who would you, if you had to pick somebody for second place, who would you go with? You know, I would have to think that the most impressive name on the list is Willie Mays, but considering he played so much of his career outside of New York, um, I think, I don't think you want to get overly cute with it. I think it's, it's either Mantle or Gehrig. Uh, it's probably Mantle if, cause we're talking about Mount Rushmore and, and for me, Mount Rushmore, I, I leaned heavily on best. But you do also have to acknowledge that we're doing a, a Mount Rushmore, so things like stature and played their whole career with one team and things like that, and last mm-hmm. act. So I would probably go with Mantle, but I, you know, you put me on the spot here. I would have to think about it. A oh, you know what? No, it's Jackie Robinson. <laughs> right, right. You know, Jackie Robinson. You know, Jackie Robinson was my um, was sort of my first instinct as well. Um, with the combination of his on the field work, which sometimes is underrated. And when we do the New York baseball, we'll talk a lot more about Jackie Robinson's on field contributions, plus all the things that he meant off the field. The other name that I think would throw out there would be Tom Seaver. Certainly would, would, would be on the list. Yeah. Um, Topic. Um, you certainly make the I, argument. If you want to go really far back, you could talk about Christy Mathewson and mention all the Yankee greats, Garrick, DiMaggio, Mantle, uh, Rivera, Mariano Rivera would be on the list. If you, factor in stature jeter um but yeah this is all sort of it's you could make strong cases for a few guys as high as two or three or four you cannot make a case for any of them to 
really even approach Babe Ruth. So let's not be contrarian for contrarian's sake. And let's just, you know, it's Ruth and it's not particularly close. All right. What about football in New York? So football, I went with Lawrence Taylor. Um, Lawrence Taylor is certainly, I don't see him as on anybody's list is lower than number three or four in terms of all time. Great defensive players um, was the face of New York football, you know, of the giants during, I guess, inarguably at this point, their best era of sports, from 81 to 93, or, you know, their best era as a franchise. He absolutely revolutionized the position of linebacker um, was a larger than life figure. MVP in 1986 still is, I mean, obviously there was the Ladanian Tomlinson thing, but still when you say LT, most people know who you're talking about. Um, so I, I did go with Lawrence Taylor trying to, again, account for my potential bias being a Giants fan and growing up right at the tail end of Lawrence Taylor's career, but also kind of video games and old videos, you know, that we'd rent from the store and stuff, sort of him being a, a mythic figure in my mind. The only other one that I thought maybe would be a serious contender would be Namath. He, he's the only other one that's a contender. Now, Namath's statistics um, are not impressive. I think he had more interceptions than touchdowns in his career. I'm pulling up his statistics right now if, as we speak. If I can um, – yeah, Namath, 173 touchdowns, 220 interceptions. So hardly um, – hardly, um, statistics that'll blow you away but he just meant so much to the jets to the city and even to the afl so i think that namath for the kind of icon he is would probably be second but i'm with you i think it's lawrence taylor um now the next two i think are a little tougher (laughs) what was your thought for basketball because basketball is is tough new york has a rich basketball history but what they don't have is sort of that one superstar who sort of dominated the league and dominated the headlines for any long period of time I went with Patrick Ewing. Um, I felt like, you know, longevity. Um, yeah, they never won a championship, but they were a serious contender the whole time he was there. From the day he came into the league as a Nick winning the draft lottery, I know he wasn't officially drafted that day, but um, from the day he came into the league, he became for a little while the face of the league, and then it, not maybe not the face of the league, but sort of a one of the faces of the league, and then he was synonymous with New York Knicks basketball and if the only thing i feel like the only reason it's a discussion at all is because they didn't happen to win an nba championship when he was there um but i you know some of the other options which i guess i'll let you get into i just found a few too many flaws with them um you know jason kidd was not there long enough dr j didn't play his whole career in New York and the time he was, was in the ABA. And again, there was a, a sort of length uh, issue there with how long was he actually on the nets? Clyde Frazier, again, he has some things going for him with his sort of, um, you know, his sort of persona and being on the Knicks when they actually won a championship. But to me, it just, it's tough to quantify what we're talking about, but for me, Ewing just felt like the answer, but I'll certainly, you know, I'm interested to hear how you arrived at your decision, what it is. I went with Clyde and that was because of the type of cultural icon that he was in New York in the seventies. 
Also because I think that if you look at the list of sort of all-time great point guards, Clyde is probably higher on that list than Ewing is on the list of all-time great centers. Okay. And I also think that Clyde put together possibly the best performance in Nick history, maybe the best one of the best performances in um in NBA history. People talk about the Willis Reed game in 1970, but the real star of that game was Frazier, 36 points, 19 assists, and I don't even um I don't think they counted steals, but I guess if you my guess is if you go back and watch that game, he's got at least double digit in steals. One of the best performances um in an NBA Finals game seven in history and something that meant so much to the team and the franchise and the city at that point. So I went with Clyde, but um I think I would be um I think I'd be willing to compromise and go with Ewing um, because I think we're going to have an argument on this next one too. So I'll I'll give you Ewing on this one if you want. Okay, that's fine. So I'll let you guys, because I kind of have gone first. What would you say for the the hockey? And for the record here, because some people may wonder, we count the Nets now and also when they played New Jersey and the Devils as New York teams, meaning they're in the metropolitan New York City area. Yes, and they didn't play physically on the other side of the Hudson River. But for anybody, if you grew up or have spent time in New York, they talk about the nine professional sports teams, and that's the two in each sport and then the three in hockey. So the Devils would be in play here. The Devils are in play, and that is why I went with Martin Brodeur as the um, the best hockey player in New York sports history. Um Traditionally ranked uh, among the top, uh, you know, eight to ten goalies of all time, and given the importance of the position, I just felt like you couldn't ignore him. Yeah, and that's certainly um, Brodeur was the only other one I seriously considered. I mean, I'm sure some people would just sort of gut reaction say, "Oh, Mark Messier," because of how much he meant to the '94 Rangers. But when you consider what portion of his career was played with the Rangers, and you know that being this isn't about moments, it's about career. You know, um, I went with Mike Bossy. It's going to be hard for me to argue uh, against Martin Brodeur. I guess my argument with Bossy was that he was the best player on probably the third greatest, you know, NHL dynasty of all time, second to the Canadians of, you know, basically a 30-year run, and then also um, the Oilers, who kind of took the torch from the Islanders after that. But, um, you know, you look at sort of the goal scoring numbers, which I had up a second ago and I'm, I'm pulling up again now. Um, you know, obviously every era in the NHL is different, but he had the whole 50 goals in 50 games thing. He was an all-star for 10 straight years, a finalist for all the trophies. Um, again, tough to sort of knock him in comparison to Brodeur. Brodeur is a totally acceptable answer um if i was looking to knock brodor and and i'm not and i understand we're going to go with brodor and that's fine the only knock would be he made his bones in an era with a style of hockey that was very unique to that era and specifically to the team he was on that was designed to essentially prevent the other team from getting into the offensive zone Mm -hmm. the neutral zone trap and that doesn't take anything away from Brodor, which is why, you know, it's it's sort of a weak argument, and I agree we probably do have to go with him. But um, 
I was putting in my word for Mike Bossy because he was the, the best player on those Islander teams that won four straight Stanley Cups. And uh, somebody who knows more about hockey than I might be able to make the more convincing case. But as I'm talking, I'm like, man, I don't really have anything convincing to say against Martin Brodeur. He was the best player on teams that won several Stanley Cups and got to a couple more as well. So, you know, I, I won't stand on ceremony against Brodeur. Hockey, again, I sort of defer to those who know more than me. And a couple years ago when Sports Illustrated did their list of the greatest goaltenders in hockey history, Martin Brodeur was number four behind only Patrick Waugh, Jock Plant, and uh, Terry Sawchuk. So the experts rate him high. He won three championships. Um, I remember when he was on the Devils, he was on the Devils forever. And he was just known as, even at the time, people were saying you're watching one of the greatest goalies in history. So I think since I gave you Ewing, I think we're going to go with Brodor on this one. So we go Ruth, LT, uh, Ewing, and Brodor is our four. Correct. And LT being Lawrence Taylor, because Ladanian Tomlinson, well, he did play for the Jets, did not have a particularly noteworthy career with them. <laughs> All right. So where do you want to go next? Like you mentioned, we have three more cities that we have any sort of connection to. You know, you with D.C. and Boston and, and me having gone to school in Philadelphia. I feel like those are we can maybe go to one of those next and then uh, and then see where we go from there. So, you know, let's go with uh, let's go with where I'm sitting right now. Let's go with D.C. OK. And just as we get into it, we're obviously talking about the Capitals, the Washington football team, which we may slip up and call it the Redskins, not not to devote, you know, not to delve into that whole controversy or or topic or whatever but just to say if if one of us say the redskins we're not making any sort of statement it's probably just the way we you know and i guess i've said now and Um, they were the redskins at the time yeah um and then we're obviously also talking about the bullets now wizards and the nationals and prior to that the senators both iterations of the senators although i doubt the second iteration of the senators warrants much consideration but we are talking about teams that used to play there teams that currently play in the in a particular city so just to sort of set set the uh the field of what we're talking about when we talk about washington so let's start with baseball again uh who did you have for baseball it has to be walter johnson um you know, it, obviously the the senators were not a very prized organization either before or after for a long time. He was sort of the only thing they had going for them. Um, you know, he was one of the winningest pitchers in baseball year in and year out, despite the team being bad. I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but there were years he would win 25 games and the rest of the team would win 35. Um it has to be him. I mean, I've heard, you know, you hear knocks about, well, it was a pitcher era, and then it was also an era where the league was segregated, so how can you know? And and I think it's fair to factor that stuff in. It's not fair to totally disqualify a guy because of that. So while the current Washington team has some players, I, I don't, you know, and obviously won a championship last year, I don't see a, a case against Walter Johnson you know, in favor of anybody else. Yeah. If Harper had stayed and they had still won last year, I might make a case for Harper. Um, you could potentially make a case for Max Scherzer. He's won a couple of Cy Young awards now and a world series with the team. So there, there are guys you can make some level of a case for, but nobody had the complete career. Walter Johnson might, 
he might well be the best pitcher of all time. So I, I'm with you, Walter Johnson. I mean, again, I know it's a totally different era. It's not some of those years, just, just to go through a couple of years from 1913 until 1918, when the, you know, the Nationals were bad every one of those years. He went 36 and 7, 20, 28 and 18, 27 and 13, 25 and 20. He had 45 decisions, 23 and 16, and 23 and 13. And the highest he had one year in that stretch, he had an ERA above two, and it was 2.21. So again, factoring in for errors, but it's, it's, it's Walter Johnson. It just is. Yeah, and he did it in an era a lot. You know, he pitched into the 1920s when it became the era of Babe Ruth and George Sisler and all these guys in the American League. So it's not like he only did it in the dead ball era. And at at the end of his career, had his most team success, you know, getting the back-to-back World Series and winning the ring in 24. Um. All right, what do you have for football? So football was the one I did last on this. There's not a clear answer for football, at least not in my opinion. You know, you look at the 82 through 91 teams that won three championships, but you don't, there weren't too many guys on the 82 team and on the 91 team, and certainly not at positions you tend to think of on this list. I went with Daryl Green. Um, he's kind of considered Mr. Redskin. He wasn't on the 82 team, but he was, came in the next year, um, you know, was a key player on the next two championship teams. I don't think he ever played anywhere else in his career. Um, for such a storied franchise, it it wasn't. There's nobody that jumps out at you, at least, on, like I said, unless I'm missing somebody. I thought about Sammy Baugh, but when you get that far back in football, it's tough to quantify. So, in this instance, I sort of overcame my indi- you know, my instinct to go as far back as possible, and I went with modern guy and went with Daryl Green. See, I went with Baugh. Okay. And um, I thought that the fact that he won championships, not that Green didn't, but he did win championships. He played, not only was he considered sort of widely considered one of the best quarterbacks of all time, but he also played defense. And there were years in which he led the league in interceptions. Um, So I, and when the NFL did their, 100th anniversary team last year. Sammy Ball was the one quarterback from the pre-war era who made it on to the the 100-year anniversary team. So I thought that it was worth going back to Sammy Ball, especially because he did it on both sides of the field. Um, Daryl Green, Green did play forever. Go ahead. Was Ball's whole career in Washington? I believe it was, if not maybe like the very end. Um, no, I mean, was yeah. he? On, wasn't on the. Uh, he wasn't on Washington before they moved to Washington. No, he was not on the Boston iteration. No, he he started in '37 when they were already in DC. Okay, all right. I was just curious about that. Um, all right. So let's do hockey real quick because it's going to be real quick. Do we, do we want to make a decision on Baugh versus uh, Daryl Green? I feel like when we're in contention here, unless it's one I'm going to fight for, we'll go with you because you have a more encyclopedic knowledge, especially of old football. So I, 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 you made the case convincingly enough to me for Baugh where not only would I not put up a fight, I guess I agree with you at this point. I'm very persuasive. 
All right. Did you said you want to go to hockey next? I want to just do hockey because it's going to be hockey. Hockey's going to be quick. It's Alex Ovechkin. You know, yeah. he's, gonna, he's one of the best hockey players of all time. The Capitals had some good years in the 80s and 90s before he got there, but certainly nothing on the level he has. He's also, you know, now won the championships. So that albatross is gone. Um, he's certainly got a couple more years left, but I don't think there's a credible case against Alex Ovechkin. I agree. And for hoops, you're really between two guys. Um, I guess three. Earl Monroe was a great player for the um, – well, no, actually, you wouldn't even really put Earl Monroe because his best years, his only years, he was gone from the Bullets by the time they moved to Washington. He was only a Baltimore Bullet, so I would even keep Earl Monroe out of it. So you're really between Wes Unseld and uh, Elvin Hayes. I went with Wes Unseld, first of all, because he won the only MVP award in Bullets slash Wizards history, even though he was it was technically they were still in Baltimore at the time in 1969. Plus, he played his whole career there, unlike uh, the other guy who I have on my list, who's Elvin Hayes. But the only MVP, winning a championship, spending his entire career with the franchise, that's why I went with that Wes Unseld. And I went with Unseld as well. When we get to Baltimore, by the way, I'll, I'll explain that I, I punted all of the bullets to Washington. I was like, I'm not parsing this. I'm just <laughs> everything counts as Washington. Um, but uh yeah, I mean, if you look at sort of during going through all this, I've looked at a lot of people ranking who they consider the best player in certain franchises' history, and pretty much across the board, they agreed it was unselled. So, um, you know, and then I, that was sort of my inclination as well. So I do think it has to be Wes Unselled. All right. So for DC, we've got. We agreed Walter on three. I'm sorry? We agreed on three. We did agree on three. So for DC, we've got Walter Johnson. Wes Unseld, Alex Ovechkin, and then Sammy Baugh uh, from football going way back. Um, do we want to leave the Northeast Corridor for one here and go to uh, go to somewhere else? You want to go say to uh, want to go out to L.A.? Yeah, let's let's go to L.A. And, and again, although I don't think this is going to come up too much when we talk L.A., we're also talking the sort of Orange County teams. We're talking uh, the Kings. We're talking the or no, excuse me. We're talking the Anaheim Ducks. We're talking the Angels, their various names they've been called, and you know, for that while that the Rams played in Anaheim, it all counts. It's it's that the Los Angeles metro area. All right. Um, to me, baseball was Koufax. Yeah, I think that he he's probably the only. He might be the. There are very few Dodgers from the L.A. era who are in the Hall of Fame. If you think about it, there's Drysdale, there's Don Sutton, um, Piazza, um, who played a chunk of his career at the Dodgers, given just how dominant he was and the fact that there really aren't many other tough candidates, you're really between between three pitchers here. You're between Koufax, Kershaw, and Drysdale, and it's got to be Koufax. Yeah, it, it, to me, it would be down to two because Drysdale was always considered behind Koufax. So to me, it mm -hmm. was between Koufax and, and Kershaw and Koufax. The only knock on Koufax is he didn't do it as long as probably could have but in some ways that adds to the mystique with him that he you know he you didn't see clips of him at the end when he didn't have it because he basically just when he realized he had crested and it was all going to be downhill from there and obviously it was his health he just left so um it koufax had a, what was it a six-year period that's more dominant than probably anybody's ever had 61 to 66 yeah and they won what 
two it was just a, two championships in there, and they won in '59 as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, to, to me, it's Koufax. Um, Mike Trout at the end of his career could get there. I mean, if if he ends up hitting 800 home runs, it's going to be hard to deny him, even if the Angels stink the whole time. But it's tough to take a career in progress against Sandy Koufax. Agreed. I guess we can probably knock off hockey, even though his best years were in Edmonton. I feel like hockey's got to be Gretzky, right? It probably does. I also just wrote down, you know, again, looking at these things, a lot of people say the sort of Mr. King was, and I'll probably pronounce his name wrong, was Marcel Dion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it probably is Gretzky. Um, you know, again, they before 2010, the only success they had was with Gretzky when he got them to the... Uh, to the Stanley Cup Finals, and I want to say 93, when they lost to Montreal. Um, you know, he really put them on the map. Who knows if they even still would have been there if he had never left. They talk about how him being in L.A., you know, A, when they changed their jerseys, it became a huge seller, and it also prompted the NHL to put two other teams in California, the Ducks and the Sharks. So... While you could certainly talk about other people who maybe had longer careers and you know played their whole career or, or a bigger portion of their career in L.A., it, it does have to be Gretzky. And he was still considered the best player in hockey for a while, even after he went to the Kings. Oh, yeah. When they got him, he was. And then I think for most of the years he was there, um, he was considered the best player in hockey. So. All right, let's do, um, I guess let's do football, because I think the, the Lakers are, first of all, I think we can kind of stipulate that the candidate for the NBA team will not be a Clipper. No, I wouldn't think so, although I was partial to Lloyd Vaught. Um, <laughs> Lloyd Vaught. <laughs> so L.A. is weird because you had the Rams, and now they're back, although I don't think anything in the last three years has changed your mind. They had the Raiders for a little while, and then they lost them again. They had the, I mean, I guess the Chargers. I didn't even really think about the Chargers, to be honest, but... um. The the LA one is is interesting. Um, I went with Deacon Jones. I thought about going with Marcus Allen, which is always kind of blows my mind when you think about Marcus Allen never played for the Oakland Raiders. Mm-hmm. He can't play his whole career. I mean, by the the only time he would have played in Oakland was the end of his career when he was a Chief. But um, I did go with Deacon Jones. Obviously, defensive stats back then are, are a little dodgy, where I can't just read out exactly what he did, but. He was considered sort of, you know, he was a, a Ram from 61 to 71. He was a five-time first-team All-Pro from 65 to 69. And those other years, he was second second team. Defensive Player of the Year in 67 and 68. All-Decade team in the 60s. Um, so I, I did go with Deacon Jones. I was between Deacon Jones and Crazy Legs Hirsch going all the way back to the 40s and 50s. But Jones just revolutionized the position in such a way um so much so that they had to outlaw the head slap that he sort of was patented so i think on balance i would go with deacon jones as well yep and then basketball um so basketball's down to magic and kareem right i mean i well See, i guess kobe was in there too well and elgin baylor was and you I mean you can go elgin baylor you could go jerry west um I actually knocked off Kareem because he didn't play his whole career with the team. And if you're looking to knock people off, you can knock off Kareem, Shaq, Wilt right off the bat and just make it a little bit easier. 
for the Lakers. Um, Elgin Baylor is probably one of the best three or four forwards of all time. Never won anything with the Lakers. So I kind of knocked him off for that reason. And I knocked off West because he probably just isn't quite as good um, in the all-time rankings in general as Magic or Kobe is. I went with Magic over Kobe. Um, They won the same number of titles. And in a lot of ways, Kobe probably doesn't win his early titles without Shaq. And Magic probably doesn't win at least his first couple titles without Kareem. I go Magic over Kobe because, and again, we're we're splitting such hairs here, but Magic is, in my opinion, the best point guard of all time, whereas Kobe mm-hmm. is the second best shooting guard of all time. So it's a real sort of, it's a real splitting of hairs. But on that narrow basis, I went with Magic over Kobe. And I went with Magic as well. Um, I guess also if you wanted to even put a finer point on it, you know, nitpick a little bit more. And again, I understand that seven months ago he passed away, so I don't, you know, want to go too deep down this road. But if you're talking about a Mount Rushmore, I would guess that the, you know, it, the overall perception of Kobe in LA is I'm sure much higher than it is anywhere else in the country, but there is, I'm sure tinges of negativity about his, you know, did he, was he too rough on some of his teammates that maybe hurt the productivity? Did he maybe blow up that original team a couple of years earlier than it had to be blown up by chasing Shaq off and, you know, Phil, although Phil decided, you know, Phil got over it quickly. Mm-hmm. I don't, think you'd be you'd be hard pressed to find a Laker fan anywhere who's got anything even slightly negative to say about Magic Johnson except maybe his tenure is like the coach. <laughs> That's right. Or maybe his comeback uh, 2 years after he was the coach, but good point. But, but you know what I mean? That's so that's like if, if we're factoring that in a little bit, I, I do think Magic gets it just on that basis alone. Not not alone, but you know, that puts it over the top. I agree. So for LA we're going Sandy Koufax Deacon Jones, Magic Johnson, and Wayne Gretzky. Um, let's do St. Louis next because okay. that's a little uh, that's a little different. Um, given that they haven't had an NBA team in um, I think over fifty years, I would go with Bob Pettit from the old St. Louis Hawks, who's considered sort of one of the um, one of the greatest forwards of all time, even to this day, and. They weren't in St. Louis for very long, but they still have, you know, one of the best forwards in NBA history in Bob Pettit. So um, I don't know if you feel differently, but that was where I went with that. If you're going to put a basketball player in St. Louis, and I did too when I wrote it out, it's Bob Pettit. I mean, even to, you know, for a guy whose career ended, when was his last year? In uh, 1965 and played on a team that's moved several times, you know, that doesn't exist in that city anymore. He's still, if you say to like an average sports fan of a certain age, and I I don't even mean who was around back then, but like when you say St. Louis Hawks, people say Bob Pettit, you know, they, they recognize that NBA was a much different animal back then, but he was still one of the best players in the league for a very long time, you know, won a championship in an era where, you know, got in just before you didn't win championships unless you were on the Celtics. Uh, two-time MVP in 56 and 59. So, I mean, who else on the St. Louis Hawks would you even talk about? 
mm-hmm. the spirits of this, you know. They, so. they had Cliff Hagen, who was another great forward at the time that was on their championship winning team in 58, but Pettit's probably head and shoulders. Um, for hockey, for the Blues, I came up with Brett Hull. Brett, Brett Hull's the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have a friend who, who lives in St. Louis, so I was running ones by him and Hull, you know, the up obviously they won the cup last year, but the, the blues sort of book on the blues for a very long time, which was the Hull era, was they'd make the playoffs every year, they'd maybe get to the first or second round, they wouldn't advance too much farther than that, but they were still, you know, a good team every year, and Brett Hull was the best player on that team. Um was an all star, I think eight times as I'm looking here, between eighty nine and ninety seven. Um, you know, top of the league in the early 90s. Uh, you know, sadly now, if you, well, not sadly, like, if you look Brett Hull up now, what you see is him absolutely plastered at the Stanley Cup parade last year in St. Louis trying to start a chant that makes no sense, but still the best player in their franchise's history. So, yeah, you, you, it's Brett Hull. Fo- Next two get in. Football especially. Let's do football last. Okay, for Baseball, and there's a ton of guys. Um, George Sisler from the old St. Louis Browns, who's tremendously underrated of how good a player he was in the 1920s. Um, Pujols, Rogers Hornsby, maybe the best offensive second baseman of all time. Lou Brock recently passed away. Um, great Eddie base. Goodell. Eddie Goodell. Eddie Goodell, for those who don't know, was a three foot eight midget who Bill Vex sent to bat in one game in the early 1950s um, and told him that if he dared swing at a pitch, that a man with a high powered rifle would shoot him, which I was actually true. Or they just say that in the Ken Burns documentary. No, no, he I read it in his book. And Bill Bill Vleck in his book said now maybe he didn't actually do that, but he said it in his book, which like, I mean. Even in those days, can you imagine somebody actually believing that? <laughs> like, and not. Actually, wasn't the whole point of that that it was during World War II? No, it was a little later. It was in the early 50s. Guys getting shot with high powered rifles during World War II in the middle of a baseball game? I mean, you, you just, you'd, you'd have to be just. Maybe we'll do an episode one day on like sports myths and why we find them that... not to be believable. Yeah. That was another idea I had was also like guys who, and it could tie into this, like guys who've gotten unfair raps in history, whether bad or good that they don't really deserve. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, I feel like we're ramping up. Who who was your St. Louis pick? I was between Stan Musial and Bob Gibson. And Mm -hmm. I went with Musial just because of longevity. And now Gibson had a heck of a lot of longevity himself, but um, you know, I gotta say though, Gibson had a couple of years that were crazy dominant. Um, I don't know. I feel like you can't go wrong here. I, I probably go Musial only because Gibson also had some relatively mediocre seasons at times in his career. But I'm gonna go Musial, but I really could go either way on this one. You know how many times Musial was an all-star? Now, you have to caveat this with the fact that from 59 or like I think it was from like from 59 to 62 they had two all-star games, but I think but I think he was like a 25-time like, all-star. 24. 
So yeah, even if you take out the four additional All-Star games, he made an All-Star game in 1943 and then another one in 1963. And he's pretty high up there on the all-time hit list. He's got 3,630 hits. Incidentally, if you're looking for a factoid, um, 3,630 hits, 1,815 at home, 1,815 on the road, the exact same number. Played from 1941 to 1963, and I'm pretty sure he is third behind only Cobb and Rue. I'm sorry, Cobb and Rose in the all-time hit list. He's fourth. He's uh, he's got 36-30, and Hank Aaron had 37-70. Hank Aaron. So, okay. Pretty crazy to think Hank Aaron had 3,000 hits if you take out his home runs. Yes, exactly. Um, so. I think I lean slightly musial here. So do I. All right. Last one, football. Now, obviously, we're talking about the Cardinals who were there for, you know, how long were the Cardinals there? 20, 30 years, something like that. Yep. Uh, and then the Rams who were there from 95 until about three or four years ago, which obviously encompassed the greatest show on turf teams, the 99 champions, the 01 team that got to the Super Bowl. So, you know, we're talking about two different teams, neither of whom are still there, but we're both in St. Louis for at least a decade. Who is your gut here? Now, the only person, this is a strange one because the the Cardinals were in St. Louis for a decent amount of time and basically stunk the whole time, whereas the Rams were there for a very short period of time, but had a a stretch when they had four or five Hall of Famers on the team. So. I think it's pretty safe to say that the nominee is going to come from those years of the Rams. Yes. I mean, my, my answer is a Ram, and the only other real people I considered were Rams. The only one that came to mind for me from the St. Louis Cardinals was Larry Wilson, who was a safety in the 60s and is widely considered one of the... Uh, one of the greatest defensive backs of his era, war number eight, which you don't see in a safety these days. I went with, I, I basically narrowed it down to four, and that was Falk, Kurt Warner, Isaac Bruce, and Orlando Pace, all, all four offensive players, all four are in the Hall of Fame. I was a little bit almost tempted to go with Orlando Pace, but I feel like you kind of have to really have a lift to go with a lineman. So I went with Falk. Yeah. I went with Falk as well. You look at his years in, he came to the Rams in 99. He, he had been on the Colts. He came to the Rams in 99, which was the year they won the Super Bowl. They won the Super Bowl in 99. 2000, he was the MVP of the league. And then 2001, they got to the Super Bowl. And just those first three years in St. Louis, his all-purpose yards, 2,400, 2,200, 2,100. And touchdowns, you know, in the twenties, all of those years, um, he would, there's no doubt between 99 and let's say Oh two, he was the best player in football. Um, you can't say that about anybody else. I mean, Warner had a couple of good years there, but he was out by, by Oh three. Um, again, Orlando Pace, like you said, it, somebody who's an expert beyond just, I played high school football in high school. And I'm talking about myself here could maybe quantify exactly how it might be paced, but, you know, looking at it from a, a layman's standpoint and just looking at the numbers and the fact that he's the only person, he's the only football player in St. Louis football history 
who at any point was the best player in football, to me, it's Falk. Yeah, I think if you didn't live through... This is one of those things where I think if I didn't live through it, I might not appreciate it. There was that three-year period where basically those Rams teams were considered to be one of the greatest teams in football history. They won a Super Bowl, set all sorts of offensive records. The following year, there were injuries in 2000, and they, they finished back a little bit. And then in 2001, you don't think of it now because of how great the Brady-Belichick Patriots were for 20 years, but... It was considered a long shot at best that those Patriots would even be competitive against that team in the Super Bowl. So for those couple of years, the Warner, Falk, Bruce, Holt, St. Louis Rams were considered one of the most dominant teams in NFL history. And that's the thing I tell people, too. I mean, you have to be a little younger than because I was in 10th grade for that Super Bowl. But the thing I tell people a little younger who don't necessarily remember that was how dominant the Rams were. The Rams were. What the Rams were in that Super Bowl was what the Patriots was in almost were in almost every Super Bowl after that, which was the team everybody was rooting against. Yes, exactly. Everybody, because um, it was such a big upset, and we can get into some of the other era, the climate of the country at the time or whatever, but really it was just that the Rams were the dominant team and the Patriots were kind of the upsets. Um, so yeah, I, what, we landed on Falk, uh, Musial. Um, Pettit and Brett Hall. Uh, and Brett Hall, okay. So by my math here, what we have left for the tier ones is Boston, Chicago, Detroit, Philly, and if we wanted to throw Dallas in there. Yes. Let's um why don't we stay in the Midwest uh and just go a little bit north of St. Louis and let's go to Chicago. All right. Chicago and and this will maybe depending on where we go here, this will probably start a run of one of the things I've realized with some of these hockey teams in these cities is the answer is a very old hockey player, you know, from the original six era, which maybe one day we can talk about also being a misnomer. But um, for, for the Blackhawks, it's Bobby Hull. The, you know, the Blackhawks have had a great run the last 10 years, really that like six-year period where they won three Stanley Cups. But, you know, you go all the way back and staying in sort of the whole family, it, pretty much the consensus is that the best Chicago Blackhawk of all time is Bobby Hall. The only other one I considered was Stan Makita, who's also beloved uh, in Chicago with the Blackhawks, and then uh, Patrick Kane, who's currently on the team. But you're right. It, it, Bobby Hall was the one in my knowledge that and my research that got it going away. I think we can probably knock basketball off in about three seconds here. Yeah, basketball is obviously Michael Jordan. Um, you know, the... Number two, I'm sure, would be Pippen. Um, but yeah, Jordan, no question, number number one on this list and really any list that involves basketball players of all time. So you're right. We can, we can, we can move on from him, and then we'll have baseball and we'll have football, which is certainly a more robust discussion. Yeah. Now, we're, baseball is interesting. Let's go to baseball. And you talk sometimes about not getting too cute – I was slightly tempted to go all the way back to the 1880s and go to Cap Anson from the Chicago. I believe they were the White Stockings, the predecessor to the Cubs. Um, definitely the best player of the 19th century. I, I didn't do that only because at least a part of this for me is sort of great moments and memory in the city. And, you know, while there are players from a long time ago who still resonate in the cities. Cap Anson in Chicago is not one of them. 
So I was really kind of once you kind of look at baseball, the White Sox and the Cubs have both been kind of bad for most of the last hundred and change years. And so I went with Ernie Banks back to back, um, back to back, uh, MVP awards in the late fifties, never won anything, but nobody for the Cubs or White Sox really won much of anything after about 1908 anyway. So I, I looked at Frank Thomas, um, and I guess you could even go to like, um, well, you could have gone with Eddie Collins, who played second base for the White Sox, but he had some of his best years uh, in Philadelphia with the athletics, Eddie Collins did. So because of how good he was, how much he meant to the Cubs franchise, I went with Ernie Banks. So did I. I kind of went the same. I, I had Anson here in parentheses, and, and I honestly didn't know if we were even counting 19th century guys, because I know in the, the episode we're doing next week, we decided not to count 19th century guys. Um, and But I mean, and also it's like, Forgetting about the fact that Cap Anson was a pretty horrendous guy, even by 19th century standards in his, in his personal views on things. Like, it's very tough for me if we're doing a mount, if we, you could make the argument for Anson if it was like, let's list the best player who played baseball ever in Chicago. Mm. You could at least intellectual case there. Um, but it's just, I have to cut, and I, I love reading about old baseball and, and thinking about it and talking about it. I have to cut it off at 1900 for the purposes of any sort of discussion where we're comparing them to modern players. Um, so then, you, like you said, if the criteria is, well, who won anything? I mean, you could look at those Cubs teams in the, the 1907, 1908 range. And I mean, who was it? Was Three Finger Brown their best player probably on that those teams? Three Finger Brown or Frank Chance. Frank, the, the yeah. whole Tinker to Evers to Chance thing gets a little exaggerated, but... Chance was probably the one who was legitimately a very, very good player. And then it's like, you've, you know, start to make arguments for guys like Shoeless Joe Jackson. Feels like you're just trying to make some sort of point. You know what I mean? And he also wasn't even out in the White Sox that long. So you're kind of left with, well, who was the best player on the Cubs post, you know, 1920? And it, it, it's Banks. Um, you know, the, the he's another one where you sort of, People ask about Ernie Banks and everybody just talks about like, oh, let's play two. And it's like, well, if you actually look at his, you know, go beyond that and look at his numbers and things like that. He wasn't just like a, he was a great, great player too, beyond having that quote one time about liking baseball. You know, yes. you know what I mean? Football. Football. Why don't, Football's loaded. Why don't you go, why don't you tell me first, what was your thought for football? So are, are we in agreement that there's two, there's, there's two people to consider or are you going to start talking to me about Bronco Nagurski I have a list of seven here um, I have Bronco Nagurski Sid Luckman Walter Payton Dick Butkus Richard Dent Mike Singletary and Red Grange and then um, my apologies because I could have added Gail Sayers to that list so I had a list of eight who did you think the two should be Butkus and Payton yeah um Go with a, a one who's not one of those. You know, I actually, as I'm looking here, I didn't. I think this was so hard that I wanted to flesh it out with you on the air because I didn't. Um, right. I would make the argument for Peyton because, mm. again, first of all, Peyton did win something. It was towards the end of his career, but he did win something. I, I think 
How much longevity did Butkus have in his career? Because I, I almost feel like he didn't actually play very long. I know Gail Sayers. No, I think he. I know Gail Sayers didn't play very long, but I kind of get the feeling Butkus. There was a lot. Gail Sayers was injured. Yeah, yeah. He does not belong, and you know, obviously, he just passed away. But like Gail Sayers is not in the discussion. You know, unless you're counting what could have been, Gail Gail Sayers is not in the discussion. Butkus played from looks like nine years. 65 to 73, which would have been nine years. Yeah. The fact that, and I know maybe it's not like a, it's not like a quarterback that you can say this about the fact that he never played a playoff game. Mm. while Peyton won a championship. And the fact that Walter Peyton is considered by many people to be the best running back of all time. It usually kind of the discussion is between him and Jim Brown. Uh, and Butkus, uh, is legendary, but he's not usually considered on that upper tier sort of great linebackers of all time. Um, at least not, um, you know, LT is considered a better linebacker than Butkus. Um, it's not like it is with Peyton where he's very clearly one of the top two of all time. So for all of those reasons, I give a slight nod to Peyton. I went with Peyton as well. Um, I kind of went into it thinking I would go with Butkus, but the more I looked at it, I mean, Peyton kind of is the interesting case because he straddled both. He was on those Bears teams in the late 70s that stunk. And then he was a big contributor to, you know, the Bears in the early 80s that were on the come up. And even that Super Bowl year, he was, he was really, really good. And he was, he had a really good year the next year too. Like just to give you quickly, his rookie year was 75, 76 at 22 years old. I'm going to just go down his yards from scrimmage for the next several years. 15, and I'll just round off, 1,500, 2,100, 1,875, 1,900, 1,800, 1,600, 82 was the strike season, so 909 games. The next three years, 2,000, 2,000, 2,000, 83, 84, 85, and then 86 at 32 years old, he had 1,715 all-purpose yards, and most of those were rushing back then because receiving as a as a running back wasn't as big of a deal. Although most of those years he did, you know, he he did have another three four hundred yards as a receiver. So, you know, he was the best running back probably this side of Jim's. I couldn't. I was thinking Jim Brown, and then I thought James Brown, so I said Jim's Brown. Um, this side of Jim Brown. So to me, it is Peyton. I was surprised by that because you could also make the argument Butkus is the best defensive player of all time. But I was blown away by – I knew it was good, but I was blown away by Peyton's production. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think it's Peyton. Incidentally, um, Jim Brown in the mid-'80s or whenever it was when Peyton broke his all-time rushing yard actually talked about coming out of retirement to try and get his yardage back. I think Jim Brown was about 46 at the time, but he talked about coming out of retirement. Never did it, but he talked that, about it. You can pad certain things in like other sports – as a running back, you really can't just like go in and like chip away at that. If anything, you probably would have lost yours. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I had to like change so, the plaque on his statue. The ones we have left in the tier one is Boston, Philly, and Detroit, from what I can see. I'm going to give you Dallas real quick. Let me know if you disagree with any of these. Yeah, just go for it. Dallas, Dirk for basketball, yep. Pudge for baseball. Yes. Mike Madano is the stars. Mm -hmm. And then for football, I went with Emmett. Um, I know some, it's, I feel like it's between Emmett and Roger Staubach. 
Some of those defensive players in the Cowboys of the 70s and 60s and 70s, Bob Lilly, um, what was the, um, the, the defensive back's name? Uh, Drew Pearson. Um, so you could make, um, Two Tall Jones. You could make a case for some of those. But yeah, those were the four that I had to Dirk, Pudge, Madano, and, uh, Emmett Smith. Absolutely. All right. So. You have a preference here between Philly, Detroit, and Boston? Let's stay in the Midwest area. Let's go to Detroit, uh, and then we'll work our way east. All right. So Detroit, to me, was actually fairly easy, to be honest. Um, hockey's Gordie Howe. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it starts the run of a lot of old hockey players, you know, from the, the 50s and 60s and even before that. But Gordie Howe um, played almost all of his career in, in Detroit, you know, later on ended up in the whatever league and ended up with the whalers and stuff, but uh, back in the NHL, Gordy Howe for hockey for basketball. I had Isaiah Thomas. Um, you know, there's certainly other guys you could talk about, but to me, Thomas was the best player on the most successful era of the Pistons. Um, you know, was the best player on championship teams and really any knocks about him seem to now stem from his personality and not his play. And then anything he's done as a, coach or executive after that yeah and you never heard any questions about his sort of um his personality as far as not the off the court stuff to one side you never heard any of the things about him that you heard as a as an executive as a player he was known as a really really good teammate his his opponents didn't like him for various reasons jordan and bird hated him but that, Isaiah as a teammate was beloved by the people he played with. So I, I definitely would go with Isaiah as well. You always get it. I won't dwell on this because I'm sure you don't want me to, but Isaiah, when you look at clips of the bad boy Pistons, Isaiah Thomas always kind of reminds me of like a bad guy wrestling manager where like, if you wanted to get to him, you had to like get through his muscle. So like, you know, he was the guy doing a lot of the damage, but then you, if you were worried about him, you had to, get through Lambeer and, you know, Mahorn and uh, Rodman and all those guys who were kind of psychopaths. John Sally, yeah. So, like, he, Rick, yeah, you said Mahorn, he, yeah. You know, obviously then kill you on the court, mm -hmm. but he, he was probably the ringleader of it all, but you never thought of him as the main antagonist, or at least I think a lot of those teams didn't. Put up one of the gutsiest performances in NBA history in a loss in... He made that trade for... Uh, for Eddie Curry. No, that would not be it. Incorrect. Um, he In 1988, the last year the Lakers won a championship, Isaiah, basically on one leg, I think it was in game six, kept the Pistons in the game and they ended up losing by one point to the Lakers. And then the Lakers came back and won the whole thing in game seven. So just a great gutsy player that ended up leading his team to two championships. All right, football. Um... To me, it's between Calvin Johnson and Barry. I went with Barry partially for the allure. You know, you can certainly look at statistics for Calvin Johnson and say he's higher up on the receiver food chain than Barry is on the running back food chain. I don't know if it's true, but you can at least make the argument. But to me, Barry being such a signature figure with, you know, his size and his running style, which was very unique kind of you know gail sayers seen a lot of gail sayers clips this week because he passed away um i went with barry just because i feel like he is the signature detroit football player and it's not like there's much to draw from in their history unless you're i mean you might talk to me about the 40s but 
You know, I looked at some of the guys from the 50s and 60s. Bobby Lane, who was the quarterback uh, in 57, the last time they won a championship, as well as Joe Schmidt, who is a Hall of Fame linebacker for the Detroit Lions and was also on the team in 57 when they won their last championship. Ten-time Pro Bowler uh, Joe Schmidt was. Uh, Bobby Lane, uh, at quarterback, was known to uh, drink at halftime of the games, which was probably an interesting decision to make. People talk about tackling him, and he smelled like whiskey. But um, Barry Sanders is another one of those guys. Maybe if you weren't around in those days, you don't necessarily appreciate what kind of a player he was. But he was just sort of somebody – I guess the only one you could really compare him to was Sayers as far as just the type of runner he was – and just some of the impossible things he would do on the field. So I'm with you on this one. I go with Barry Sanders. And then finally we go to baseball. Um, and the reason I, I thought we should do this last, because I don't think we're going to have an argument about this, but I feel like this is a good opportunity to tease somebody who will probably be the subject of at least one, if not two future episodes. So for baseball, it's Ty Cobb. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, you could make a case for maybe not a very strong case. You could talk about Al Kaline, who um, played on the team just forever, won a title with him at the tail end of his career, which actually just passed away this year. Um, you'll notice another theme. A lot of guys have passed away this year. When we do our uh, end of the year in memoriam special in a few months, there's a lot of guys to talk about who, you know, great players who and players and coaches who just recently passed away. Um some more modern guys, Cabrera, uh, Miguel Cabrera, who won the first American League Triple Crown in, I think, in about almost 50 years. Uh, Verlander, Justin Verlander, had some dominant years, won the MVP as a pitcher, which you don't see much of. But Ty Cobb, um, I think for a number of reasons, people don't necessarily understand just what a great player he was for so long. And, um, you know, could still be maybe the third or fourth best position player in baseball history almost 100 years after his career ended. So I'm with you. It's Ty Cobb. And I mean, Cobb, again, second all-time in hits still. And and to me, one thing to touch on with Cobb, and, and like I said, well, Cobb's been always a little bit of a, a subject of interest to me, and maybe we'll, we'll do a, a, an episode on not just his career, but then also sort of the mythology around him and why so much of it is mythology but just as a player kind of a minute ago i was talking about how barry sanders was unique to his era the thing i've always loved about cobb is every other player in the league at the time was trying to do the same thing Cobb mm -hmm. constantly get on constantly steal you know sacrifices take the advantage contact hitter you know get on base four times a game so it wasn't like he was doing something unique he was just doing it better than everybody else. And that's what's so endlessly sort of, you know, uh, captivating about his, his playing to me. Obviously, nobody's ever seen him play who's still really alive and with it because his career ended in, what, 1928? Mm -hmm. And by all accounts, Ty Cobb from when he came up in 1905 or whatever it was until the late teens and even early 20s was an absolute... Uh, Attraction, I guess you could say. Won 11 batting titles, hit 366 for his career. Actually led the American League in home runs in 1909, which I believe, uh, yeah, which meant led to a triple crown. So he won the triple crown in 1909. No, 12 batting titles, wow. So 
yeah, a, a very an extraordinary figure, a sometimes misunderstood figure, um, but a great, great player, and certainly the best player in uh, in Tiger's history. So it's definitely Ty Cobb. Um, so we got Philly and Boston left. Um, I think what we'll do is we'll go through these two, and then I'll just sort of read through the list real quick of all of the cities, and uh, then we'll just talk for a couple minutes of about who we think is the best, um, the best city. Um, let's uh, let's do Philly first, if that's all right with you. All right, Philly, I think is going to be a little more competitive. There's some discussion about at least a couple of these. I'll start with hockey. Uh, Bobby Clark is, you know, he was the best player on the Broad Street Bullies teams that won in the mid-70s and 74 and 75. They won the Cups. He's still sort of the legendary Flyers player. He's considered the sort of benchmark of that era. Um, Those teams are kind of notorious. Well, notorious is the right word, but those teams are known for basically brawling and Bobby Clark. And there were other good players on the teams, Bernie Perrant, but... I have really yet to see a list that doesn't have Bobby Clark at the top of it. Um, the best player on the best teams and, you know, far more skilled than a lot of the other guys on that team who had roles. But, uh, and the Flyers have had some really good modern players. Obviously, Eric Lindros, it didn't work out with over a long term because of injuries. And they've had other guys who had really good careers, but they didn't have them for their whole career, like a Peter Forsberg. So, I do believe it is Bobby Clark. Yeah, Bernie Perrant was the only other one who I um I considered um but I think that I think you make a strong case for Clark um and I I think that that's mine. So we'll go with Clark uh for hockey for Philly. All right. Um for basketball for Philadelphia, I went with Wilt. Um to me it was between Wilt and Dr. J. Um Neither of them played their whole career in Philadelphia. Dr. J obviously starting in the EPA, mostly with the Nets, and then coming to the Sixers, and, and still having a bunch of really, really good years. Wilt played for the Warriors. That was where he scored the 100 points. He played for the Sixers, you know, once he came back from San Francisco after the Warriors moved out there, and then did go out to L.A., but to me, it's Wilt, um, even with discounting the years he played in California. Um Won a championship with the Sixers. Would have won a ton more if it wasn't for the Russell Celtics at the time. Again, averaged point totals that... He's like the closest thing comparable to Babe Ruth, in my opinion, in terms of the point totals he was averaging compared to what other guys were averaging at the time. Mm-hmm. Just And then I know this shouldn't count, but if we're going to really get into the weeds if it were to be close with anybody else wilping from Philadelphia put it over the top. I think that's fair. I think um the fact of the matter is he did win a title uh in Philly with the 76ers in 67, one of the teams that's considered one of the best um one of the best um single season teams in NBA history. Played on two different Philly teams, started off with the Philadelphia Warriors and then when they moved out to the Bay Area played a season or so with them and then went back to Philly to play on the Sixers. Um, the only other one, honestly, Dr. J, uh, the other one that I really thought about was Iverson just because of how much he meant to that team. If you look at the Sixers teams that Iverson played on, there was nobody else even halfway decent on those teams. Dr. J had other 
Oh, Dr. J had other Hall of Famers. He had Moses. He had Maurice Cheeks. He had Barkley late in his career. I think if Philly had somehow gotten by the Lakers in 2001 and won a championship, I might have gone with Iverson. But um, since he didn't and since Wilt was so dominant, I would stick with Wilt. I mean, the fact that Iverson got a game in that finals is still legendary. The whole step over Yeah, with Teron Lowe. Like, they lost, they lost the next four games mm-hmm. in that series. But, like, yeah, if you look at the team, that's one of the worst teams that's ever been carried to an NBA Finals, and there's no doubt who did it. But, you know, when you're talking about Wilt Chamberlain, I, I just, I don't, I don't think there's much discussion, but Iverson, certainly of the last 30 or 40 years, has a special place. He's had a real rehabilitation there. Like, when I was there, it was, like, right as he was leaving, and I think a lot of people were thinking good riddance, and now it's like, oh, yeah, that, we had it really good with him when he was here. Yeah, he had a tendency to wear out his welcome. He probably wasn't the best, uh, best locker room guy, but, um, a lot of heart and won an MVP and uh, carried that team to the finals. And that team had no business being in the NBA finals, even in the Eastern Conference in the early 2000s. Uh, do you want to go baseball next or football? Let's go with football. I went with Bednarik. Um, you know, he was on the Eagles from 49 to 62. I guess I kind of forgot he had actually was on as a rookie, won that championship in 49 with them. Um, 10-time first-team All-Pro, 50-57, to and then in 60 and 61. um, Like I said, got the two rings with the Eagles, which accounts for half of their championship output ever. Um, The most famous sort of... I don't know who else you would argue. I mean, the most famous moment in Eagles history was that Super Bowl two years ago. Nobody on that team yet or probably ever will rise to the level of that. You know, and then there was the teams in the 80s and 90s. Reggie White played half of his career in, in Green Bay, so I don't think he can count. Um, you know, they talk about, what was his name, Van Buren. Yeah. But to me, to me, it's it's Bednarik. I'm good with Bednarik. I was sort of on the fence between Bednarik and Reggie White. The two Vans, uh, I think, also deserve some mention. Steve Van Buren, who was another guy who was named to the NFL 100th anniversary last year, played for eight years with the Eagles from 44 to 51. And so he was on a championship team along with Bednarik, uh, led the league in rushing three years in a row. Um, great player, Hall of Famer. Um, and then Norm Van Brocklin, who was the quarterback of the team uh, after a great career with the Rams, then became the quarterback of the Eagles uh, towards the tail end of his career and was the quarterback of the 1960 team that won the the last NFL title they had until a couple of years ago. But um, Van Brocklin only played three years with the Eagles at the end of his career. Um, Van Buren only played eight years total. Bednarik was there for both the 40s championship team and the 1960 championship team. Plus, he played both ways and in 1960, he didn't play both ways every game or every play, but I believe in that 1960 championship game, he played the full 60 minutes at both center and linebacker. So, a very impressive feat. So, I, I would agree with you, and I would go with Bednarik. That was by a time when not everybody was doing Almost it. nobody was doing like it. Third. Um, and then we are left with baseball. And I will admit, when I was going through this a couple of days ago... I realized, oh, crap, I didn't even think about the A's, which is unlike me, but I had just ignored them. So then I was like, oh, it might be Jimmy Fox. 
And then I look between Mike Schmidt and Jimmy Fox, and their numbers are actually remarkably similar. But the fact that Jimmy uh, Mike Schmidt was such a good third baseman, I think he won something like 10 gold gloves. He won three MVPs, which I believe Fox also won three MVPs. I went with Mike Schmidt, but I have a feeling you're going to disagree. No, I went with Schmidt too. Um, there's a lot of guys. Honestly, the one who comes in second to me is Lefty Grove, who might, might very okay. well, who played for the Philadelphia Athletics uh, in the 30s, might well be the best um, one of the probably – other than Koufax, and you know, I, I don't. I'm kind of going through in my mind. One of the best two or three left-handed pitchers of all time, Lefty Grove. He was. Um, I think he might. Um, other than Denny McLean, I think he might be the last American League pitcher to win 30 games. Um, I'd have to double check on that. Um, you know, you could go Fox. You could go Mickey Cochran, uh, who was a great catcher. For the A's, one of the best catchers of all time. Eddie Collins, going back even further, the 19-teens. Um, if you want to go modern, if you want to go stick with the Phillies, you got Steve Carlton, another one of the best left-handed pitchers of all time. I would kind of narrow it down to either Schmidt or Lefty Grove. I go with Schmidt because he's probably the best third baseman of all time. Um, going back to the, uh, the Sports Illustrated uh, greatest books that I've drawn on, for a lot of this, he was listed as the best third baseman of all time, combined offense and defense. You're talking about a guy who won 10 gold gloves and hit 548 home runs. That is some crazy combination. Really, the only other player that I can think of that maybe approaches that is Willie Mays. The combination of the defense yeah. and the power hitting. So for all of those reasons, plus the fact that he's just so beloved, even to this day in the city of Philadelphia, I go with Mike Schmidt. I agree. And then it it gets, not that this is a major factor, but it does also get a little glossed over in this day and age. Playing 17, 18 years where you're, as an infielder, where your home field was Veterans Stadium, and most of the other games you were playing were on that god-awful turf throughout mm-hmm. the country longevity as an infielder is is pretty incredible absolutely so the last one we have is boston um boston to me is actually remarkably easy i do not think boston is i'm gonna read you my boston list and you can tell me i'm sure you're gonna i don't think you're gonna disagree with any of these you may have some context for some of them or, or guys you know that get considered but to me boston is bill russell ted williams tom brady bobby Orr. i think that's right um Brady's no question. He's the best quarterback of all time. He's led the team to six championships. He's won, I don't know how many MVPs. Um, I'm looking up here to see how many MVPs Tom Brady won in his career. And he's another one. He got to the point where you could theoretically have given it to him almost every year. You know what I mean? It was almost like the default, like, well, if there's nobody else close, it'll be Brady. And I'm not saying he probably deserved it years he didn't win it, if anything. Six-time uh, Super Bowl champion, four-time Super Bowl MVP, three-time NFL MVP, 14-time Pro Bowler, and then, you know, many all-pro teams, you name it. So far and away, or at least maybe not far and away, but definitely, in my opinion, the best quarterback of all time. The thing that's interesting to me about the Patriots is that in all these teams and all these cities we've gone through, there's not been a single offensive lineman. If we were doing this 20 years ago, I think the Patriots probably would have had an offensive lineman. It probably would have been John Hanna. 
who was a great guard for the team in the 70s and 80s. Also, there's a great story about John Hanna in Super Bowl 20 uh, when the Patriots um, were getting just demolished by the Chicago Bears and the Patriots had a quarterback, a young quarterback by the name of Tony Eason, who was just having a totally horrible game. And after two or three series, John Hanna came back to the sidelines and he said to the coaching staff, he said, you can leave this guy in, but I'm not going to block for him anymore. So um, great player, um, but eclipsed, obviously, by Brady. Um, I I agree with Bill Russell. Um, There's a certain sort of logic, I think, to picking Larry Bird just because of how beloved he is or was at the time in the city of Boston and how much he just sort of symbolized the Celtics in the 80s. But if you just look, whether it's championships won – well, if, yeah, if Bird symbolized the Celtics in the 80s, Russell symbolized the Celtics in the 60s when they won a Absolutely, lot and, you know, 11 titles. I think he and Yogi Berra are tied for the most championships all time um, by a North American sports um, – by a North American uh, professional sports athlete. Um, five MVPs, 12 All-Stars, you know, just – and a guy who – I like guys who had the ability to do something in a game – and dominate a game in a way that most people can't. That's why I like Magic Johnson. They always said Magic Johnson could dominate a game without scoring a point. Russell was the same way. He could dominate. And you you think about how many times he got the better of Wilt Chamberlain, who was probably the greatest offensive force in basketball history. So to me, it is Russell. Um, I do go with Ted Williams. Um, just because of the great hitter that he was. Um, I was thinking through sort of maybe who some of the other strong contenders is and you have contenders are, and you have some of the traditional ones. You have Yastrzemski, Carlton Fisk, um, Tris Speaker, if you want to go really far back. Um, Ortiz, there's actually a decent case for because the guy won four World Series on a team that hadn't won a World Series in almost 100 years, was the face of that team. I think his numbers warrant being in the Hall of Fame, even though he was um, he was a DH for the vast majority of his career. And then the other guy I considered there who might even actually be my second place pick was Pedro. Uh, Pedro, sort of like a Marshall Falk type, was just so dominant for a few years, was on the team for the first championship in 04 and um, won Cy Young Awards. He's in the Hall of Fame. So I thought about Pedro, but... I think that just the dominance of the hitter that was Ted Williams, uh, you have to go with Williams. Yeah, I mean, most people consider Williams to be the greatest hitter of all time, or, you know, at least, again, depending on how you want to quantify it, but I don't think anybody's got him less than second on the list. Um, All those other guys, Pedro especially, Pedro had a very, very good career, an excellent career. I just don't think he's in the rare air. I mean, Ted Williams is on the Mount Rushmore of baseball, probably. So, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I think it does have to be. Williams. And I agree with Bobby Orr. He's beloved in the city of Boston in the way that almost no other athlete is. The other two guys that I considered sort of briefly were um, Ray Bork, who played on the Bruins for almost 20 years um, and then finally won his, won a title in Colorado in after they traded him towards the very end of his career so he could try and win a Stanley Cup. 
And then in looking uh, at some of these other players, I was also struck by a guy who I had never heard of, a guy named Johnny Buchik, B-U-C-Y-K, um, known as Chief, was his nickname. And the only reason I think he was interesting is that he came to the Bruins in 1957 and didn't leave until 1978. So he played, I think it's 22 seasons with the Bruins, never playing less than 49 games in a season. So some of the... Lo- Probably without a help. It's always funny when you see like footage from like the 80s in the NHL, or like the late 80s in some cases. And guys who were still grandfathered in, not wearing helmets. And ironically, they probably were, not only were they grandfathered in, they probably were actually grandfathers. So, <laughs> so yeah, I go with Orr. So um, we've certainly um, been very thorough with this. And the good news is, uh, well, the bad news is if you were hoping to hear one of these other cities, we're not going to get to that today. The good news is, is that we have another uh, another episode that we've already prepared for whenever we need to to have fill in an episode at the last minute. So. Um, Stay tuned at some point in the future for the uh, round two of the Sports Mount Rushmore's. Let me go through the list of everybody real quick, and then we can sort of talk real quick about um, who we think uh, might have the best uh, Mount Rushmore of the cities we've listed. So New York was Babe Ruth, Lawrence Taylor, Patrick Ewing, and Martin Brodeur. Boston, Ted Williams, Tom Brady, Bill Russell, and Bobby Orr. Washington, D.C. was Walter Johnson, Sammy Baugh, Wes Unseld, and Alex Ovechkin. Philadelphia, Mike Schmidt, Chuck Bednarik, Wilt Chamberlain, and Bobby Clark. Detroit, Ty Cobb, Barry Sanders, Isaiah Thomas, Gordie Howe. Dallas, Dirk Nowitzki, Avon Pudge Rodriguez, Mike Madano of the Dallas Stars, and Emmett Smith. LA's got Koufax, Sandy Koufax, Deacon Jones, Magic Johnson, and Wayne Gretzky. In Chicago, we have Ernie Banks, Walter Payton, Michael Jordan, and Bobby Hull. And in St. Louis, we have Stan Musial, Marshall Falk, Bob Pettit, and Brett Hull. Do you have uh, an immediate impression of which one of those might be the best? Bill Russell, Ted Williams, Tom Brady, Bobby Hull. And without be able to pretend to know enough about hockey, but like where's the weak link there? Um, Agreed. Where's the guy Where's the guy who's not you can't make the argument for being one of the two or three best players in the history of the sport? Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with that. Um, if Gretzky had played his whole career in LA, I think you might have a choice there. Um, Chicago's got Bate, Peyton Jordan and Bobby Hall, so that's close. And I think that um, if New York had a better basketball player than Ewing, I think maybe we might be able to make a case for New York because Ruth's the best baseball player of all time and Lawrence Taylor is the best defensive football player of all time, most likely. So, And Brodeur's up there in best goalies. But as it's currently constituted, I do think we have to give it to Boston because I would argue that Russell's the best center of all time and Brady's the best quarterback of all time. And probably Brady's probably the best NFL player of all time period at this point. So um, yeah, reluctantly uh, for us, I think we have to give it to Boston. That would be my argument as well. Um, But you know, I think it it was a, it was a 
robust discussion to say the least. Um, just to kind of, kind of bring things home here and, you know, in the spirit of keeping this a tight hour and 40 minutes, um, <laughs> I guess the good news we have here is that, um, the, the ideas we had for podcasts, we probably have twice as many podcasts <laughs> now. I thought, you know, again, if, and again, I don't want to steal your thunder on, on sort of closing things out, but the idea is it's supposed to be open-ended. You know, you could tell on some of them with hockey that we're just kind of like, oh, yeah, well, this guy's widely considered to be the best player. I don't, I don't think we had a lot of controversial takes about anything with hockey. Um, but, uh, you know, it's there's no right answers. I mean, there's some that are objectively wrong. Let's say there's there's no wrong answer. Or there are wrong answers, but there's none that, uh, they're, they're, you know, it, it, certainly for a lot of ones there's there's room to argue i guess depending on where you uh where you come down on comparing eras and and things like that absolutely but i think we had a nice mix of um not going too far back to an absurd level i.e somebody like cap anson but still making sure that the ty Cobbs and the sammy Baws uh and some of these other guys still got some of their uh their justly uh deserved respect that will definitely come to light in our next I was going to say next episode, but being objective, it's probably our next two episodes. But uh, having to sort of quantify eras where you're talking about um, Daryl Strawberry against exactly. Zach Wheat. And we'll, we can out, but that's, um, that's a little bit of a team. Absolutely. So thank you all for joining us on the inaugural episode of Hello Old Sports on the Sports History Network. We hope you had as much fun as we did, and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Goodbye, old sports. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Join George Bozica, the president of the PFRA, and myself, John Bozica, each month for the Professional Football Researchers Association official podcast. We'll discuss the history of the game, the many names of the game, and so many different things for you, making the history of football not only entertaining, but fun at the same time, as we join you on the Sports History Network on the official PFRA podcast. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.